Oh, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome, whether you join us in person or online. Uh, does anybody have a neighbor with them in the room and now you are concerned about your property? All right. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, I, I drove by this house on 13 Mile and they had this really nice trailer out in front. And I thought I should take that trailer. So, um, but uh, welcome. To, to faith. Uh, my name is Michael, one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we are in week four of a series entitled Enemies of the Heart. And before we jump into that, we're going to take a minute and pray, and then uh, we will get caught up and uh, plow ahead. But uh, before I want you to pray with me, please. Father, uh, thank you for an opportunity uh, to worship, whether we're doing that right here in this room, whether we're doing that uh, online. Thank you for an opportunity to uh, be the church. Father, in the midst of uh, just all the COVID crazy that is going on right now, uh, Father, we want to pray for President Trump and for his wife. Whether we like him or not, whether we would vote for him or not, you tell us to pray for our leaders. And Father, we want to pray for him, for his health, for his wife and her health and for healing for their body. Father, we want to pray for the election that is up and coming. And uh, just as I read this week, as your church, that uh, we would be known not so much for who we vote for, but how we treat people who would vote differently than us. Father, we want to pray for Tim, uh, just for, for Bill Dolezal's son, as he is in the hospital right now for COVID for your hand of healing on his body and just everything that's going on in Michigan right now uh, related to this, um, for wisdom, for our leaders, and for direction uh, moving forward. Father, as we take time to look at your word and our hearts, God, I pray that you would meet us, that uh, we would be open to your truth and what you would be saying to us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm uh, standing up here today with this little uh, jug of beads. These are very pretty, right? Yeah, colorful. Uh, nothing too complicated, though. They, they do create potential for mess. For example, if I just shake the table a little bit, we get some beads. If I jostle things a little bit, we get some beads. If I give it a really good shake, we get a few more beads. In fact, as I stand up here, you know, surrounded by some mess that somebody's going to have to clean up today, all right, because we got another service to do. Um, uh, we've got beads, and th th there's really a, a wonderful lesson for our lives in the beads, um, and, and, and it kind of comes in the, in the form of the, the question that I want to think through together this morning as we get started. And the question simply is, why did the beads come out of the jug? And there, there are a couple potential answers to that question and that relate to our lives. And when it comes to the answers that relate to our lives, there's one that we like to move towards and there's one that we like to steer away from. But we'll just stick with the, the jug for now. So why did the beads come out of the jug? Now, two potential answers. One is because of what we did to the jug. Because we shaked, because we jostled, because we rattled the jugs, the, the beads came out. 
And there's truth to that. In fact, you can't deny that. I mean, I, the more I mess with the jug, the more mess we get. Now, while that is true, there is a second answer to that question that is just as true and perhaps even more insightful. And, and the, the second answer to, you know, answer number one is, you know, because of what we did to it. Answer number two is because that's what was in the jug. That was, that's what was in the glass to begin with. See, sure, what we did to this thing impacted what happened. But ultimately, beads came out of the glass. Beads came out of the jug because that's what was in the jug to begin with. And we're seeing in this series that this is what Jesus is trying to teach us about our hearts. See, in this series, we're talking about our hearts and what's in them. And we've been talking about from an early age, we've learned to engage in behavior modification. From an early age, we've figured out that we should filter what's in our hearts. Because if the wrong things make their way out of our hearts and out of our mouths or out of our hearts and into our actions, it tends not to go well for us. So from an early age, we learned to figure out how to filter what we say and filter what we do, and it just makes life better for us. It helps us avoid outcomes we don't want any part of. And I'm not down on you if you learn to do that. I think there's wisdom that comes with learning to filter. But again, in the series, what we're saying, that if this is as far as we've matured, if this is as far as we have gotten in life, just filtering things, that we're in trouble. Because along the way in life, we pick things up in our hearts. Things get stuck there. Not our, not our physical hearts, our immaterial hearts. Broken, ugly, sinful things make their way into our hearts. They get stuck there. And if all we do is filter what is in our hearts to try and make sure it doesn't come out, that's not going to serve us well because the things that get stuck there, they're just going to grow. And they're going to, at some point, they're going to pierce the filter of our hearts. They're going to make their way out into our lives and into our relationships. And when they do, it gets messy. And again, we've been, you know, we said this in week one, you know, this tends to happen in those stressful kind of situations. You're having a conversation with somebody, it gets heated, it gets emotional, and then you say that thing that you're like, I cannot believe I just said that. Why, why did I say that? Right? Or we'll be in that, you know, those circumstances where it's just all this drama between me and another person, and then we do that thing, and the minute we do it, we regret it. And we're like, why did I do that? I say that thing, it's like, oh my goodness, that's not like me. Where did it come from? I do that thing. I'm like, why, why did I do that? I don't, I don't get it. And in week one, we saw Jesus answer both questions the same way. He says, I'll tell you where it came from. I'll tell you why you did it. It's because you have a heart issue. You're asking, where did that thing that I say, said come from? And Jesus says, it came from your heart. Why, why did I do that thing that I'm regretting having done now? Jesus says, you did it because it was in your heart. According to Jesus, the things that come out of us, they come out of us because they were in us to begin with. And so Jesus in week one, we saw him call us to do more than just try and filter, just try and hide what's in our hearts. We saw him call us to, to, to work to clean out what's in our hearts. And so in each week, we're looking at a different enemy, 
And in each week, we're looking at a different habit. A habit that the Bible points us to, a habit that doesn't come easy, it doesn't come quick. There's something in us that will tend to resist it if we need it. But a habit that can actually change what's inside of us, clean our hearts out and make them different. So as we continue this weekend, we're going to look at the enemy of jealousy. Now, here's the trouble with the enemy of jealousy. Nobody likes to admit that this is an enemy that they have in their hearts. Like, for example... If, you're, if you're, you're watching at home right now, you're on the live stream feed, if you wrestle with jealousy, just go ahead and jump on your little keyboard there and put in your name and, and you just say, you know, hi, I'm Bob, I'm a jealous person. Go put it on the live stream, all right? If you're here in the room today and, and jealousy is an issue for you, just go ahead and raise your hand up high and proud. Yeah, like me and maybe one or two other people, all right? See, it's, 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 it's acceptable in our culture today to say, I have an anger issue. I'm going to anger management. It's almost in vogue in our culture today to be like, I wrestle with guilt. But when you say, I'm a jealous person, people are like, they'll say things to you like, really? How middle school of you? You know, like, well, it's th maybe it's time to get over that. Maybe it's time to grow up, you know, to like move on here, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's not a popular thing, but, but people still wrestle with this. Popular or not, it's something that, it's an enemy that people struggle with in their hearts more than maybe we'd like to admit. And one that when it, when, it, when it grows and it makes its way out of our hearts and into our relationships and into our lives, it does not serve us or anybody well. So before we look at this jealousy a little bit more and, and what the Bible has to say about it and how to cleanse it out of our hearts, let's, 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 let's establish a working definition so we're all on the same page with what we're talking about. When we talk about jealousy today, here's what we've got in mind. Jealousy is the emotional response that I have when you have what I want and believe I deserve. Jealousy is what happens inside of me when you've got something, material or immaterial, that I want to have, I don't have, I believe I deserve to have, and I just can't manage to get. For example... I came in to work earlier than you did. I stayed later than you did. I worked harder than you did when we were both here. And still, you got the promotion. And something inside of me is just like, what? Or the car in your driveway is nicer and newer and probably fancier and probably smells better than the one in my driveway. And every time you pull up into that, you know, your driveway in that car, something inside of me is just like, ugh. Or, you, 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 you look good in a size three. I can't wear a size three. At least I shouldn't try and wear a size three, right? <laughs> and every time I see you in those jeans, something inside of me is just like, ooh. Right? <laughs> we're, we're, just drives me nuts, right? Or, you, your kids are getting the grades my kids should be getting. They're in the, the, the school my kids should be in. They're on the, you know, the, the track my kids should be on. Every time I see your kids like succeeding, there's something that's mm. Or I'm, I'm nicer than you. I'm, I'm more relationally savvy than you. I like them more than you do. I genuinely care for them more than you do. And yet you got the date with the person I wanted to go out with. And every time I see the two of you together, I'm just like, come on. 
See, see, jealousy is that thing inside of us. It sees what somebody else has that we want and don't have and even believe we deserve. and It just, it just eats us up on the inside. But since none of us here have a problem with that, <laughs> but we maybe know somebody who does, we're, we're going to look at some of what James has to say about this, this issue and, and how to cleanse it out of our hearts and hopefully gain some pointers that will allow us to help that person we know who is jealous come along just a little bit. Now, we're, we're going to pick up with James and, and see what he has to say about this. Um, but, but before we do, let, let, let me just let me say this about jealousy. As, as much as we might go, okay, yeah, I can see it's a problem for somebody, it's, again, it's one we don't like to admit that we have an issue with. And so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll try and camouflage it. We'll, we'll, we'll try and hide it w- with different things. Like oftentimes we'll, we'll, when, when we're feeling jealous on the inside, we'll instead get critical. We'll, we'll say things like, you know, um, I don't like him. Well, how come? Well, he's just too nice. What do you mean? He, he, nobody's, nobody's always that happy. Nobody's always that nice. I, 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 I don't like that about that guy. I don't like her. Well, why not? Because she's too pretty. She's just Barbie doll, plastic. I just, I'm just not comfortable around all that kind of makeup. I don't, I don't like her. She's too pretty. Or this is my favorite one. You know, if I had the kind of money they have, I wouldn't spend it like that. <laughs> right? We just, we'll, we'll, do, we'll camouflage it with critical, or we'll camouflage it with fair. We'll, we, you know, we'll, we'll say things like, you know, I, I, I work just as hard as, as, as she does, and, and yet she makes more money than I do. That's not fair. My kids are just as smart as theirs, and they, their kids get all the breaks. That's not fair. I was born big bone birth, and she came out all mini miles, Mary. That's not fair. If we're honest, it's really not about fair. Because if all of a sudden the world was to get fair, that would mean an equal distribution of wealth and health and success and skills on a global level. And for most of us here in this room, that means we'd be moving backwards, not forwards. See, we don't want fair. We just want more. We want more of what that person has that we don't have that we deserve. It's an ugly thing, this jealousy thing. And again, we're fortunate. None of us struggle with it, but we, we maybe know somebody who does. And so James, he's going to talk to us about this. We're going we're to pick up in James chapter 4. We're going to start up on verse 1. It'll be up on the screens. It, it should be in your Bible as well. If you want to follow along, either way you can. James starts off like this. He says, he talks about, talks about jealousy from a unique perspective. He says, um, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? James is like, hey, what's with all the friction? Now, when somebody you know, kind of calls us out on friction in our lives with another person, our go-to answer tends to be the other person. Like, it, it's what they said, it's what they did, or what they failed to say, what they failed to do, and that's why we've got friction here. But James, he points to something different. In fact, James asks a a first question, and then he answers his first question with a second question, and the implied answer to the second question is yes. 
James says, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Doesn't it come from your desires that battle within you? James is like, hey, what's with all the friction? And we're like, they jostled me. They rattled me. They shook me. And as though James has been talking to Jesus, James is like, well, isn't that stuff coming out of you because that's what's inside of you to begin with? What's, what's, what's all the friction? Doesn't that come from your desires? These things inside of you that you want that are just waging war on the inside of you. Isn't that where this is coming from, James asks? And again, the implied answer is yes. Now, if that weren't enough, James kind of takes the gloves off and he goes a little bit further. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. I want it. I don't have it. Somebody else does. And then James says, so you kill. At which point we go, okay, you just lost me, James. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. I mean, I was kind of tracking along with you, and then, then you, then you kind of went all overboard here. That, that doesn't make sense to me. And here's the thing. In, in all fairness to James, maybe James is employing hyperbole here. Maybe James is getting a little crazy, and he's, you know, he's trying to, you know, he's talking about killing literally. Or maybe James is speaking figuratively. And we'll just start there. Because I don't know about you, but I have seen what James is talking about here on a, in a figurative sense, like in all kinds of ways. Like as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times I have watched siblings refuse to talk to each other anymore over who got what or who got how much when mom and dad died. I have watched ministry partners like lead in a church split over who got the credit or who got more spotlight. I've I, I watched friendships just completely dissolve over who got to date the hot girl or who got to date the dreamy guy that both friends were interested in. I've watched, you know, like co-workers like become enemies over who's making how much or who gets the promotion. We, we see this happen figuratively all the time. And before you, you, know, you, you know, you're too hard on James, just think back. First recorded murder in human history. Who was it? Cain and Abel, that's right. Why did Cain kill Abel? It was because Abel had what Cain didn't have and wanted to have. And so he murdered his brother over it. So whether James is using hyperbole or speaking figuratively or even being literal, I don't know, maybe he isn't so crazy here. He says... You know, what, what causes all these fights? What causes all these quarrels? You know, isn't, isn't it your desires that bay, rage and battle within you? you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. 
He's like, hey, what's with all the friction? Oh, it's them. Is it really them? Isn't it the stuff that you want that's just waging a war on the inside of you? Isn't it about what you desire and that you don't have? Aren't you, aren't you willing to, to, to let this thing grow in your heart to such an extent that it pours out into your life and into your relationships and it, it's just devastating, it's lethal there? Isn't, isn't, this, isn't this about what you covet and what you can't get? And isn't that why you have all this friction, James says? James has a different idea. Now, before we jump into James's solution for jealousy, l- let me just point this out. When it comes to jealousy and what James is talking about, again, we're, we're so quick to point to people as the problem. Ah, I got this, all right, this thing, it's worn in me, it's not good for me, my relationships, but it's, the people are the problem. And can I suggest to you that the people aren't the problem? If they were, they could solve the problem. And as it is, whenever we turn to people to be the solution for the problem, it doesn't work, and it gets ugly. There are a couple of p- potential solutions that we tend to turn to if people are really the problem here. And again, neither one of them are effective, and both of them tend to get really ugly. For example, people are, are, are the problem. Here are two solutions that we tend to turn to. Solution number one is simply this. I get what you have. If people are the problem, then, then solution number one is I get what you have. So I, I get to make just as much as you make. I get a car that's as nice as your car. My kids become as successful as your kids. I can, I can look just as good as you look in those clothes. I get what you have. Now, you know what the problem with that solution is? Even if I get what you have, it's only a matter of time before somebody else who comes along, before, and they've got more than both of us. See, it, it doesn't matter if I can get what you have that I don't have and that I desperately want. Because there is always going to be somebody who's got a bigger, faster, skinnier, smarter, more successful, you just fill in the blank. And so I can get what you have, and it'll give me a little bit of relief for a minute, but it's just a matter of time before somebody else comes along who's going to have more than both of us, and I'm going to be in that same situation where now I don't have what they have, and I want it. See, here's the thing about appetites. You know know what happens to an appetite when you feed it? It just grows. It grows. Appetites don't go away. They don't shrink when we feed them. They grow. And our desire for more, whether it's material or immaterial, that appetite just grows when we feed it. And there's always somebody else to come along and have more than what we have right now. Solution number one doesn't work. And neither does solution number two. And here's solution number two. With solution number two, you lose. Whatever it is you have that I don't have, that I want and deserve to have, you lose. I win when you fail. So, so, so you, 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 know, you pull up in, in your, your cute little car, and 
now you've been in an accident. And I'm all like, oh, you, you wrecked, I'm sorry. No, no, really, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to hear about that. You got in that accident with your car. That's, that's, that's a shame, right? You're out with your girlfriends, and you're talking about her. Did you see her at the beach this year? Yeah, she, she didn't look as good as she did last year, huh? Carrying around a little extra COVID cargo this year, right? Mm-hmm. Your kid gets booted from school. Your business deal falls through. And that's a win for me. I feel better about me when you lose. Now, in addition to just being undeniably ugly, that, if I'm going to follow Jesus, that solution doesn't work. Because Jesus told me that the two most important things in life are to love God and to love people. And I can't love you well if I'm rooting for you to fail. And even if you do fail, and even if I do feel a little bit better about me after you fail, again, it still doesn't work. Because it's only a matter of time before somebody else is going to come and take your place. You can fall flat on your face and somebody else is going to step in and they're going to be succeeding and I'm going to find myself in the same spot I was in before. See, people aren't the problem. If they were, people could be the solution. Which is why I think James points us in a completely different direction. Because James knows people aren't the problem. James, James points us to a different solution because people aren't the problem. Crazy as this is going to sound to you, it's actually God. When jealousy's in my heart, the problem isn't with people. The problem was with God. God's the problem. Again, just think about this for a minute. The person who has what you want but don't have cannot seem to get a hold of and feel like you deserve. Ultimately, where'd they get that from? According to the Bible, they got it from God. Like, like Hannah will say, poverty and wealth come from God. Moses will say the ability to make money, that comes from God. Exodus will talk about how God gives certain people certain skills that he doesn't give to everybody else. Paul will talk about how some people get these spiritual gifts and other people get those spiritual gifts, and God's deciding who gets what. David will talk about our physical beings and how God knit us together in the womb. These individuals who have what you don't have and you wish you had, God gave them those things. And he gave them to them and not to you. Which means ultimately our problem isn't with the, those, those people. Our problem is with God. See, jealousy says God owes me. God could have blessed me with that car, but he didn't. God could have helped me out at work like he helped them, but he didn't. God could have made my kids successful like their kids, but he didn't. God could have, could have looked out for me and my health like he looked out for them and their health, but he didn't. God owes me. The problem isn't with people. If it was, people could solve it. It's with God, which is why James tells us to talk 
to God. James says, he says, you do not have. Here's the stuff you want. It's just blowing your relationships up. And he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you have on your pleasures. James is like, let me, let me tell you what's wrong here. Let me tell you who you have a problem with. You don't have this stuff that you want so bad that other people have that's just blowing things up in your life because you're not talking to God. Now, James, James has got this figured out. See, he realizes until we get to a place where we realize our real problem isn't with our successful coworker. It isn't with our wealthier neighbor. It it isn't with the other family in the co-op. It isn't with our skinny sister-in-law. It's with God. Until we figure out that that people aren't the problem, that deep down in our hearts God's the problem, we're not going to be able to cleanse this enemy out of our hearts. And so James points us to God because in moving towards God, we see the habits that can help us cleanse this enemy out of our hearts. And and there are two habits that I would argue James points us to when it comes to dealing with jealousy. One one James speaks to very directly, and the other I would argue he speaks to indirectly. The first habit is simply this. Talk to God about what you want. Again, James says, you don't have because you don't ask God. James is telling us, hey, pray. Pray. Have a conversation with God about what it is that you want. And, and as, as, you, as, you, as you live into this habit, and again, we're looking at habits that are designed to help cleanse our hearts. We don't want to develop more sophisticated filters. We don't want to just hide the beads. We want to cleanse this stuff out of our hearts. And again, these don't come easy. They don't come quick. And especially with habit number two, we tend to resist them. But James starts off and he says, hey, talk to God about what you want. And I would, as you have this time of prayer with God about what it is that you want that you don't have, that somebody else has that you feel like you deserve, I would encourage you to structure this prayer in a specific way, to do three things. First one is this, to get really clear, to think deeply and honestly about what it is you want. Make a list if you need to, but get, get brutally honest with yourself about what it is you want, about what it is that somebody else has that you don't have. Just be honest. Quit playing games. Quit trying to hide this stuff. Just, it's there. Be honest about it. So number one, figure out what is it that you want. And then number two, tell God. Tell God what it is that you want. And as long as you're being honest, let God know if you feel like God's taking care of them in a way he hasn't taken care of you. Let God know if you feel like he's let you down or if he's been holding out on you or if he's, if he's, he's not doing his job in your mind. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't know, can I, can I like talk to God that way? Have you ever read the book of Psalms? There are all kinds of prayers in the book of Psalms where the the, the writer is, that's what these are. They are prayers recorded for us. 
And there are all kinds of psalms where the writer is doing exactly that. Let God know just what it is that you want and just how you feel about him not giving it to you. And then number three, ask God to give you what you want. Even, even if after engaging in the first two, you're inclined to think that maybe you don't want that anymore, or even after having engaged in the first two, you're going, I don't know that God is going to give me that anyway. Because sometimes when I engage in those first two, I learn some things about myself and what my motives are and who I'm going to spend this stuff on. Ask God anyway. Even if you're not sure, God will say yes. Because here's the deal. God's like any other decent parent. He doesn't always say yes. If you're a good parent or if you're going to be a good parent, you have figured out sometimes your children put you in a position where you have to do things that make them not like you. Amen, parents? Yeah. I mean, just, your, your kids, in their wisdom, they will think, this is a good thing. I want this thing. This is going to make my life wonderful. And you know, you've lived a life. You got enough sense to know, no, this is a bad idea. I am not going to say yes to this. And the best thing you can do as a loving parent is tell them no or tell them not yet. Like, I, I watched this go down not that long ago between my granddaughter and my daughter-in-law. Annie's over at the house, Annie's heading for the electrical outlet because she's convinced this is a good thing to stick her fingers into or suck on with her mouth. I don't know what it is about little kids. It's universal though, right? And, and she, so Annie's heading for what's going to be a 110 volt surprise. And um, Mackenzie's a better parent than I am because I'm like, let her do it. <laughs> She'll only do it once, right? They'll learn their lesson, you know? Kenzie's a better parent than I am, so she grabs her daughter, pulls her away from the electrical outlet, and Annie, you know, still can't talk, but she finds a way to communicate to her mother, you're ruining my life, right? And so just as, as a good parent, sometimes you know better, you're going to tell your kid no, you're going to tell your kid not yet, you won't always say yes. God's a good father. He knows that some of the things that we ask for, in our wisdom, they seem like wonderful and good things. Sometimes he's going to tell us no. Sometimes he's going to tell us not yet. Ask him anyway. See, as I get honest with myself about what it is that I want, when I acknowledge what it is that other people have that I don't have, when, I, when I'm honest with God about how I feel about that, it is, I'm telling you, it helps change my heart. It is an exercise that makes me more self-aware and leads down the road to a changed heart. And when I ask God for what it is that I want, even if God might not say yes, it's good for my heart. When I engage God in conversation, that's foundational to relationship. And there's, there are a few things in this life that will change our hearts like a healthy relationship with God. Simply asking builds into relationship. And then asking, even if I'm not sure he's going to say yes, and choosing to trust God, whether the answer is yes, no, or not yet, that just builds into relationship all the more. And again, that changes my heart. Doesn't do so overnight. These are not fast. These are not easy. They take time. They take energy. But if we live into them consistently, they can begin to change our hearts. So James would tell us, hey, talk to, other, talk to God about what you want. 
And then there's habit number two. This one's a little harder. Habit number two is talk to other people about what they have. Talk to other people about what they have. And what I mean by that is celebrate the person who has what you want and don't have. That person who has what you want and don't have and feel like you deserve, celebrate them. Celebrate what they have. Do it out loud verbally. Do it in writing. Do it with them personally. Do it with other people. Celebrate their win. To your coworkers, say to them, you got that promotion, that's amazing, you got to be so excited. To, to your neighbor, that, that car looks awesome. That's got to be a ton of fun to drive. To your sister-in-law, girl, you look incredible in that outfit. Side note on that, only say that to your sister-in-law if you are a sister-in-law. All right, if you are a brother-in-law, it will not translate the same way. Don't go there, all right? Just leave that alone, all right? To, to the other family in the co-op, your kids are crushing it. You've got to be so proud. Celebrate their win. Celebrate it with them. Celebrate it with other people. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I, I can't do that. That's like that. I, I, I'm not happy for them. That's not sincere. You can still celebrate them whether you're happy for them or not. And what you're saying is true. The, the car is still amazing to drive whether you're glad they've got it or not. The promotion is still great even if you wish you'd gotten it instead of them. Their kids are still successful, whether they're outpacing yours or not. She still looks good in the outfit, whether you could pull it off or not. Celebrate them. Because again, jealousy would begrudge them. Jealousy would wish they lose. Jealousy would just be mad that they got it instead of us. To celebrate them, though, it's really to do the opposite. It's to do the opposite of everything that James is telling us that jealousy is and does. So you want to clean this thing out of your heart? You're tired of what it's doing to you and your relationships? Get with that person personally and celebrate them. Write them a note. When you're talking to somebody else, celebrate them and, and, and what they've accomplished. Next time you're on social media, instead of, instead of posting something about them that that's, you, you know it's about them and everybody else knows it's about them and it's critical and it's a sideways kind of thing, but you didn't use their name so they really can't get after you. No, use their name and celebrate them and their victory in front of the whole world. Talk, talk to God about what you want. Talk to other people about what they have. Don't just try and hide what's here in your heart. As ugly, as immature as it might be. No, engage in habits that actually over time could clean it out. So, as we finish today, we're going to do that weird thing again. So if you would, I want to encourage you just to try and ignore the people around you. Maybe bow your head, even close your eyes. And just think about you and your heart today. And let me ask you, how's your heart today? Is there any jealousy 
in your heart? Are there things that you see that other people have that you don't have and you just, you want them? There's this war raging inside of you. And if it hasn't happened already, you know when this thing pierces your filter and it spills out of your heart and into your life and into your relationships, you know it's going to be lethal. Is there any jealousy in your heart today? If you're here today and you're following Jesus and you know he's right, but you need to love other people and you can't do that well if you're cheering for them to lose. Today I want to I pray with you. And I want to invite you to commit yourself to God in the weeks and the months to come to talk to him about what it is that you want and to talk to other people to celebrate them when it comes to what they have. Father, just today, for those of us who are following you, not putting anything in the live stream feed when I raise any hands, it's just conversation, us and you. And as ugly and as petty and as immature as it feels, we just want to confess to you that jealousy is an issue for us. And we just want to commit ourselves to start having some conversations with you about what it is that we want. We pray that you would meet us in that and help us see our, our hearts clearly. Help us to just to get tangled up with you in relationship in the midst of that. And God, as counterintuitive as it is, we want to commit ourselves to celebrating other people and what they have. We want to celebrate their win, not wish for their loss. God, please meet us in this and change us in this. And if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, but you know jealousy is an issue in your heart. And you're thinking, I, I, I don't know if I can have a conversation with God. That just feels clunky and weird. And I, I know I don't have what it takes to celebrate that person. I want to point you to that relationship with Jesus. Because those conversations with him can become increasingly normal and natural. And when you surrender your life to him, he promises to send his spirit to live inside of you, to empower you, to become the kind of person he's calling you to be. And so if you're here today, whether you're joining us in person or online, and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but you're ready to, again, I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, I'm broken, I've sinned. My life's a mess. Jealousy is just, just one of the things on a long list that I want to bring to you. I want to lay before your feet and ask for forgiveness for. I need Jesus. I need a Savior who loves me. 
died for me and who calls me to follow him. And in this moment, I want to surrender all of who I am to him and begin that journey. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So this weekend is the first Sunday of the month, which means as we continue our worship together, we're going to worship as we celebrate communion with one another. In communion, we take time to remember who Jesus was, how he lived. We take time to proclaim his death and his resurrection until he returns. In communion, in worshiping in this way, we are saying to a watching world, we believe. And in communion, in, in a way that is, for me, as a concrete kind of person, it's difficult to explain, but in communion, we worship in, in a unique way. Paul says we participate in Christ. And so today, if you are a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to join us in worshiping in this way. If you're with us in the room today, in the chair in front of you, uh, there are elements for communion. You can just reach forward and grab those. There are two tabs that you're going to pull forward. The first tab is right up on top there. That's going to give you access to the, to the bread. The second tab is below that, and it will give you access to the juice. And we're going to take these elements one at a time, and we're going to receive them together. But before we receive these elements, we want to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, we're told that he took bread, that he gave thanks, that he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to eat. He told them, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, we're told that Jesus took the cup, that he gave thanks, he gave it for all of his disciples to drink. And he told them, this is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. My blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So if you would, I want to invite you to peel forward that first tab there to get the wafer. And together we're going to receive this. Together whether we're worshiping in the room today or at home. The body of Christ broken for you, church. pull back that second tab. Together we're going to receive the juice, whether again we're here in person or at home. The blood of Christ shed for you, church. This band makes her way back up on stage. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life that we can remember and be pointed to. Thank you for his death, his, his body broken in our place, his blood poured out for our forgiveness. Thank you for his resurrection that proves that everything he said and taught and did is true. As we worship in this way, meet us please. Jesus' name. Amen.